remain standing if you would. Let's uh, go to the scriptures today as our choir and orchestra come down. Uh, the title of our study today is, we began the Beatitudes again for the third time. The title of our study today is, Follow. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite games when I was a kid was follow the leader. The only problem with that when you're a kid is the discussion that always ensues when you start to play that game, who's going to be the leader? Now imagine what role I wanted to play in follow the leader. Leadership is a part of the DNA that God gave me, and some of you understand that because he gave that to you as well. And we're going to talk about following the leader and the example that he gave in the area of meekness today in Matthew 5, 5. So in honor of God and his word, let's stand. Uh, I'll read and pray, and then we'll begin our study. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit meekness. It's interesting. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy that is ours to stand in honor of your word today and to read, to be able to sing from hearts that are filled with gratitude over the love that you have poured out on us through the life, death, burial, but resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's because of our faith and the redemptive work that he did on the cross for us that we now are acceptable in your sight. You pronounce us today acceptable because of the righteousness of Jesus and we're able to stand boldly before your throne and declare your praises. And I pray that as we do today, that you be glorified. You were magnified. As we continue now in this study of your word, I pray that your spirit would prevail in this place, would speak through your word in our hearts, and result in the spiritual fruit of meekness in the lives of your people and your disciples today. Thank you for this time together. Use it for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, honestly, when you heard the word meekness, what is the first animal that came to mind? The first animal. What? Uh, <laughs> what was that again? A lamb? Anybody got a different animal? i say that again. Money? Bunny rabbits. I'm sorry. A little wax in my ear or something. Well, nobody's guessed the animal that comes to my mind. It's, it's, it's a mouse. Have you never heard someone describe someone else as they are as meek as a mouse? That's not a compliment, is it? When you describe someone as meek as a mouse, that pretty much defines them as someone that is being described or is descriptive of someone that is a doormat. They're as meek as a mouse. They're weak. But in fact, the word that Jesus uses here in this beatitude is anything but weakness. And it's anything but a doormat. For Jesus is being described in the word in multiple passages as himself to be meek or filled with meekness. And Jesus is anything but weak. And when he displays the characteristic of 
uh, meekness, he is anything but weak. And so I want us to take a look at the passage in Matthew 5, 5 today, and let's talk about the important subject of meekness. Now, I don't know about you, but, but uh, meekness is not a subject that if you saw a book in a bookstore and it was labeled something like how to be meek, you probably would not pick it up, buy it, and read it, would you? If there was a seminar offered somewhere in Wichita or maybe in a discipleship training class that will begin this coming fall, and it was a a whole semester on how to be meek and how to exhibit meekness, probably we would have very few sign up for that course or would take that class. We, We don't really describe meekness in the terms of a characteristic or an attribute that we admire, especially when it comes to a leader. I mean, we have God's people here who are, are hearing this message from this Messiah, this self-proclaimed Messiah called Jesus. And he is coming with incredible authority, and he's speaking with incredible power, and he's attracting multitudes, crowds, thousands upon thousands of people are coming, and they're hearing him speak, and their hopes are raised because, you see, during the time and the moment and when Jesus begins his mission, and he begins to proclaim his message, the people of Israel are looking for a liberator. They're looking for a champion. They're wanting a king who will overthrow Rome and liberate once and for all Israel back into the realm that it once enjoyed as a prominent nation that it was, a ruling nation, self-governing, but also a nation that was powerful throughout the whole world. And they were anticipating and looking and waiting and watching and praying for that kind of Messiah. And Jesus now identifies himself as the promised Messiah that is talked about in the Old Testament. And he proclaims that. Some accept that. But now he teaches now in this Sermon on the Mount this very important subject called meekness or about meekness. And and that is not an attribute that they're looking for in a Messiah. They're wanting a champion. They're wanting a warrior. They're wanting a soldier. They're wanting someone who will overthrow Rome and get rid of this Roman rule and liberate the people. And and now they're hearing Christ begin this message, and he's going to speak about meekness. I mean, let's be honest. Meekness is not a characteristic of a ruling monarch, a warrior, a champion who's going to defeat Rome. And so some are a little bit disappointed, I'm convinced, by this message. And I think there are some who are also somewhat disappointed when we read this message today because meekness is not always something that we would describe to or adhere to or seek to emulate in our lives. Meekness is considered by some to be weak. But I want us to go to the Word of God today and see the biblical definition of what meekness is. We'll explain that. Then we'll understand what the expectations are for those who then exhibit meekness. And then we'll look at an example about meekness and we'll wrap it up with some some very quick principles that will help us not only define it, but how to live it. So let's look at the first point in our outline today, the right explanation. It's always important that if you're going to seek to emulate something, that you understand exactly what the word means. What does meek or meekness mean or what does it not me. Well, the word meekness in short, 
And I'll be quite honest with you. I had a, a lot of trouble this week trying to identify the definition, the proper understanding of this word, because there are many scholars and many commentators that take this word and stretch it to mean only one aspect or maybe this aspect, or maybe they just miss it all together. And uh, it, it's interesting to me how we... We just sometimes miss what God is saying. And I'm not saying they're all wrong and I'm right, but it's interesting that when you dissect a scripture and you take it at face value for what it says, it's important also to go to the other scriptures in which the same word is used to help you identify and understand and explain what the word means. And so we're going to do that today. But first of all, I want us to understand the word meekness according to what Jesus describes in this beatitude. The word meekness is simply this, and I encourage you to write it down. It simply means power under control. Power under control. It's a word that is described as a horse that is, that is wild, and the farmer or the, uh, the, the cowboy or whatever takes the horse and breaks the horse to the point where the horse will then submit to the farmer's or to the rider's directions or leadership. Now, you don't want to break a horse to the point to where he's completely powerless because then you rob the effectiveness and the efficiency of the horse that you're trying to tap into and to use its power for whatever resource you're wanting to use it for, for farming or for riding. And so you want to break it to a point to where it's still strong, but it submits or it yields or it gives into the command of the one who is over it. And so if you take that word for meekness, what I have sort of walked away with is simply this. Not only is it power under control, but it is also a power that is submissive to another. It is a power that is submissive to another. In other words, it is the power of my will that willfully chooses to submit to a higher authority. It's a power that I have, the power of the will to submit to either a higher authority or to someone else. The higher authority obviously is God, or to the other person can be a spouse, can be a, a coworker, it can be a boss. In other words, you have the power, the will, the self-will, the power of that self-will to say, no, I don't submit, and exercise dominance over that person. For example, let's take Genesis chapter 3, the very early beginning of the Old Testament, where we have Adam and Eve both are in the garden. I think sometimes we have a tendency to believe that it was just Eve that was in the garden. But if you read very carefully Genesis 3, you learn that Adam and Eve both were in the garden. Adam and Eve both heard the words of the, uh, of the serpent, who is Satan, except the serpent spoke to Eve, not to the man. The man was standing by her in the garden, and she responded and reciprocated, and he tempted her to do what? To become like God. And that desire to be like God, she exercised her will, her God-given will. God had dictated and he had determined to Adam. And Adam then gave it to Eve, the instructions of the Lord. And he said, this is the will of the Lord for us. Don't eat from this tree. You can eat <coughs> from any other tree, excuse me, but not from this tree. He created us with the power of self-will. Isn't that a bummer? I think it is. Life would be a whole lot easier if we were just robots reacting to what God told us to do. We wouldn't mess up. There wouldn't be any sin. 
There wouldn't be any consequences. There'd be no failure. But God gave us this, this incredible power of our own self-will, and he gave it to Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden and said, you can eat of any tree but this one. And she took it, she ate it, and gave it to her husband, and he ate. What happens when women exercise leadership over the husband? It's catastrophic every time. You can discuss that later on with me if you would like to. But if you take a look at the garden, Adam was there in the garden because the you there in the original language is plural, not singular. And he spoke to man and woman who were in the garden, not just Eve. She didn't go grocery shopping by herself that day. She took her husband. And she took it first, though. But he willingly, hearing the serpent's call to take it, also took and didn't stand up and exercise the leadership that God gave him. He submitted to, to Eve's leadership, but that was wrong. So there's, there's a wrong submission and a right submission, but we have this incredible power called the will. And God exercises his will over our will, but he has given us the freedom to choose, to accept, or to reject his will. And so the word meekness means the power of the will in which I willfully submit my will to the will of the Father or to the will of another. In other words, I have the will, if I want to, in my relationship with God, to say, yes, I'll obey you, or no, I won't. Or in my dealing with maybe my spouse or my children or maybe with someone else, I have the will to squash you like a bug if I want to and put you in your place. But I don't exercise the power of the will. I submit that power of the will, and I allow you then to escape uh, probably the consequences of maybe something that you've done. So meekness is an interesting thing. It doesn't mean weakness. It means power of the self-will under control. Now, that, that's a definition that I can work with. And when you go from there, it's interesting to take a look then. What does that mean for us? Adam and Eve obviously were, were creatures of God that were first created, put in the garden. And as a result of that, they didn't have the spirit of Christ that resides in them. They were carnal and fleshly men and women. And we're born naturally sinful because of the sin of one man, Adam. Notice not the sin of Eve, but the sin of one man. He was responsible. He should have led, but he let go of his role of leadership and submitted to the leadership of Eve and ate what was forbidden. And God put the blame on him, not on Eve. And because of that, you and I are now born sinners. And so because we're born sinners, as we take a look at this text, honestly, we have to admit that in the flesh, in the natural, there's no way in the world that we're going to be able to live out what Jesus is asking from us in this text. In the natural, in the flesh, in and of your own willpower, you cannot exercise meekness apart from the Spirit of God. For in this text, I'm convinced that only those who are born of the Spirit who possess the Holy Spirit, can now exercise the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 5. Only a born-again <coughs> believer in Christ can exercise this practice or this attribute called meekness. Where do you get that? Well, look at Galatians 5, 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and, and gentleness. Or some translations have the word meekness. These words are interchangeable. Meekness and gentleness are virtually the same. And so we see that, that meekness or gentleness 
is described as a fruit of the Spirit. Well, if it's a fruit of the Spirit, that means that carnal, natural man, without having a new birth experience, does not possess the Holy Spirit, therefore cannot exhibit the Christ-like nature of meekness. Are you with me? Now, here's where we go a little bit deeper. Watch how it goes. Now that I'm a disciple of Christ, a Christ follower, born of the Spirit, okay? I'm born of the Spirit. I possess the Spirit of Christ who resides in me because once I profess faith in Christ, he builds a permanent dwelling place in my heart. And now I have the person of the Holy Spirit in here. Now watch what happens in Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do I not gratify the desires of the flesh? My flesh doesn't want to be meek. I want to crush you like a bug. I mean, we were at the wild game last night. And uh, we were hooting and hollering. And uh, if you haven't seen Bob and the guys there, I was with them last night. It, it's pretty ugly. But it was all in fun. And actually, the guys kind of enjoyed it at the end of the game. Uh, Robert caught a football, didn't you? Babe? And uh, I thought you'd give it to me, but you didn't. But it's... <laughs> Maybe next time, right? Anyway, because there, if you catch a ball, you get to keep it, right? So anyway, um, when, you're, when you're in war and, or when you're in a game like football, meekness is not a characteristic that you want to exhibit. And you're trying to do everything you can to overcome your enemy or overcome your opponent and to win the game. Meekness, though, when the temperament of Christ comes to dwell in your heart, you have the power and the ability to win, to overcome to triumph over them, but the Spirit of God begins to work in your life, begins to communicate, that's not the way you need to deal in this circumstance, in this situation, and then you don't give in to the flesh, which is your natural desire, like in the football game last night, guy picked a guy up and chunked him down <laughs> into the ground, which caused a lot of ruckus. It was one of our wild guys, uh, one of our players in Wichita. Uh, it, you just don't do that. You don't do that. Um, how do you not do that? I mean, when your spouse does something that irritates the fire out of you and it's totally wrong and you want to just smush them like a bug as soon as they walk in, what prevents you from saying what you want to say and doing what you want to do? What holds the flesh back? The Spirit of Christ. It's the Spirit of Christ that, that dominates and controls because isn't self-control a part of the fruit of the Spirit? And yet most of us believers want to skip that part because we don't want to exercise self-control. But the fruit of the Spirit not only is meekness or gentleness, but it's also self-control. And it's the Spirit of Christ that allows me, as he rises up within me, not to give in to my emotions and my thoughts at the moment and just let somebody have it. It's the Spirit of Christ that rises up in me at the moment of decision in which I'm being tempted to disobey and defy the will and the Word of God for my life to say no to that temptation. And unless I yield to the Spirit, I'm going to yield to the flesh. And those of us who are in Christ have the Spirit of Christ who dwells within us, who rises up at the moment of temptation or rises up in the moment of confrontation with someone that has deeply hurt us and offended us and we want to just really let them have it that says self-control. And yet, too often, that's the voice that we push aside. Why? Because the flesh wants to settle the score, and the flesh wants to get even, doesn't it? And so here we have the right explanation. Now, let's look at 
than the right expectation. Well, let's, let's wait a minute. There's, there's some other verses I want to talk about here real quick. I don't want to jump ahead. In James chapter 1, verse 19, under this explanation thing, I want to quickly look at it. This exercising my self-will and submitting to the will of God is incredibly important because if I don't do that first, I can't then yield to someone else. It begins with my relationship with God. And James chapter 1 puts it very clear in verse 19. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You know, we could stop there and go home, right? I said, we could stop there and go home, right? Okay. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive, notice he says, with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Receiving with meekness the implanted word. Where did this implanted word come from? Came from God. So in other words, he's saying, you need to be meek in your relationship to God. How then am I meek in my relationship with God? I submit, I exercise his will over my will. I willingly die to my will and choose his will. And therefore, my meek relationship impacts my relationship with God. I then must be weak. I must submit my will to his will. That's where this meekness begins. It begins first between us and God. And once we then understand as we submit our will to his will, it's then easier for us then to submit our will to someone else's will. Now, I'm not saying be a doormat. We're going to go there in a minute, so hang on. Notice my relationship with others as described in Colossians chapter 1 and on the next slide. In Colossians chapter 3, verse, actually verse 12, it says this. It encourages us, put on then as God's chosen one, ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We're to put on, we're to clothe ourselves with meekness, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, and the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful to respond to each other by putting on meekness. How are we thankful when someone is abusive or hard or, or, or does us wrong? We simply accept the fact that they're human and we submit our will to God's will and we respond appropriately, appropriately as we're being led by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that you always are silent, but if you need to speak up when you're confronting error or wrong or, or untruth, that you do it in a spirit of meekness. And so here he says that meekness not only impacts our relationship with God, and once we have a meek relationship where we're submitting to his will over our will, we then, it's easier for me then to submit to the will of another. In a discussion, for example, that some of you are going to have in a moment as you're getting in the car and you're going to decide where you're going to have dinner or lunch, who's going to win out in that argument? The children? Yeah, but this time it's dad's turn. And children may not be happy with where dad decides to go eat lunch. How should they react? Murmuring and complaining and griping the whole time? Or just joyful the fact that, God's act, uh, that, God, that, that their dad is actually buying their meal and, and by, by his grace they're being fed today? And be thankful. 
And they go along for the ride. They're not murmuring. They're not complaining. They're not bickering. They're just thankful that they're able to eat a meal. That is called meekness in our dealings and relationships with each other. Now, let's look at the right expectation. Let's go there, and I alluded to that a little bit a minute ago, and let's actually go to the right expectation because I think all of us have expectations. As I alluded to earlier, Israel was expecting a powerful, abrasive, arrogant, dominant champion who was strong and who wasn't seen as a doormat and especially isn't discussing this subject called meekness and inviting his followers, his soldiers, to be meek soldiers. How could they overthrow Rome? They were, they were not expecting this message from Jesus. And I think sometimes we need to understand that as we read where it says to us, blessed are the meek, what can we expect? Well, we can expect to inherit the earth. You shall inherit the earth. That's a promise. You shall, you will inherit the earth. And what's the provision through the promise? The inheritance of the earth. And did you know that this promise is not only futuristic, but it's a present reality? Where do you get that? Let's go to Psalms chapter 37, which is really, many believe, where Jesus sort of captures this phrase, and he sort of shortens it in verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, excuse me, and forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall what? Shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. And though you look carefully at this place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land or the earth and delight in themselves in abundance of peace. You know, when I'm not so concerned about advancing myself and I submit my will to the will of the Father and I submit my will sometimes to the will of others, how less stressful is my life going to be? And, and where is that inheritance then? It's in a lesser stressed life. You want to cause less stress in your life? Submit your will to the will of the Father. And don't always press for your dominance over everyone else just because you can. And see if that doesn't cause less stress in your marriage and less stress in your family and less stress maybe in your life group or less stress in your workplace. Or in due time, he says, those who are meek will inherit the wonderful blessings of a lesser stress life and inheritance is not only a forthcoming inheritance in the future, but even as a present reality. And our next slide in Ephesians chapter 2 says in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. As a present reality, we are now alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up. Notice he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We have an instant society that wants instant blessing. I remember when I was a missionary kid and uh, I went over to, to South America. My parents surrendered to, missionary, to, the, uh, to the mission field and, and they took us from the United States over to the country of Brazil. And I was eight years old at the time. And we spent a solid five years there. So from eight plus five is how many? 
Okay, just make sure you're with me. At 13, 13, they came back to the States. Now, from 8 to 13, the U.S. changed a lot. And all I remember when I left was black and white television. But there's something else that I found out. America had, America had this incredible thing called fast food. Well, they don't have that, really didn't have that in Brazil. Instant food. I mean, you walk into line, you order, and before you kind of sit down, it's there. And we've gotten used to fast food. And we judge a restaurant not only by the flavor or the style of the food, by how fast we're served and how fast we get out. But there's something else I, I never had seen before when we arrived in, in Miami, Florida, in the airport there. I remember going up to a Coke machine. I had never seen a Coke machine before. Now, this is before they had cans. This is when they were in bottles. Anybody remember those? I'm talking about those little bottles that were, really weren't glass, but they kind of were glass, but they were cheap glass. And I remember when they came out, they were really ice cold Cokes, man. I had never, ever seen where you can slip a coin in a machine, select the kind of drink you want. It comes out in a bottle and it's cold. And you, I had not seen one of those. Instant gratification. No waiting. And we're like that, aren't we? We want instant gratification. And I think here the expectation that, that Jesus is saying is all good things come to those who are meek. And while you, you can expect to be, to be honored by the Lord and to be blessed by him and to have an inheritance, it's an inheritance that, yes, it is futuristic. It is something that we receive when we get to heaven. But it's something that is a present reality today. And we need to understand that while we may not receive our reward for being meek, when we could have squashed somebody like a bug, but we chose to step back and to react in the spirit and let the spirit control our reactions, we, we, can, we can rest assured that in God's timing, he will come through and he will bless your decision to be meek every single time. Maybe not in the time frame that you expect or in the way that you anticipate. But if we can change our expectations to measure up to the realities of the word of God, I think it'll make an incredible impact for us. Now, thirdly, I want us to understand as we understand meekness to look at the example of meekness. Let's close here with these two points and I want to finish the example of meekness. What's the right example? I don't know about you, but I look across this room and I see some really solid believers in here who have been Christians for a long time. But no pun intending, you're not the best example of meekness, are you? Because there are times when you're really fleshly and really carnal. There are times when you're tired and there are times when you're grumpy. Anybody in here not grumpy? How many of you woke up grumpy this morning? How many of you would like to have left him in bed instead of waking him up? Never mind. You've been way too honest, brother. You don't need to be doing that. But anyway. The right example for meekness is Jesus, is Jesus. Interesting in Matthew 26, notice, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, and again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, it is not, it, it, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. What is Jesus doing? He's submitting his will to the father's will. 
He's submitting his will to the Father's will. What is the attitude or the characteristic or the attribute of meekness? Is that of submission, power under control? Jesus, the Son of God, had all the power of the Father and could have said at that moment, ain't doing it. Price is too high. Cost is too great. Not, not wanting to go there. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. Not dying for those wicked people, those sinners, those infidels. They deserve it. And yet he submitted his will to the Father's will. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. That's meekness in our relationship to the Father. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, uh, uh, 2, verse 21 says, notice what it says. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Watch this word here. It's interesting. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, leaving you an example. What did he leave us? He left us an example so that you might follow in his steps. What do disciples do? They follow in the footsteps of Christ. They emulate his example. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he, notice what, notice when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He had the power to crush those people. He could have called down 10,000 angels to defend him and take him off the cross. And yet in that power, he chose to relinquish that power and to die for you and for me in obedience to God. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Wow. You ever suffered? And then after suffering, something somebody did you wrong and and you just let him have it? Is that meekness? Jesus didn't do that. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to who judges justly. He accepted the plan and the purpose and the will of God, and he submitted himself not only to the will of God, but he submitted himself to you and to me. Hear Jesus submitting himself to us so that through his death, we might win. We might live. Jesus standing before Pilate, I think it's in, in a John chapter 19. Don't hold me to that passage exactly, but I think it's John 19. It's, off, it's in the back of my head somewhere and kind of floating around. So John 19, where he's standing before Pilate after he's been you know, through a pretty troubling time, and there's a discussion in John 19. Where Pilate, you know, I can see him kind of sitting there thinking, dude, I'm the authority over you. I have your, your life in my hands. I can do with your life whatever I choose. And Jesus responds by saying, really? He said, the only power you have has been granted to you by my Father who is in heaven. And were it not for his letting you be in this place, you wouldn't have the authority that you have. Now imagine that discussion. Here Jesus is, the Son of God, in all the power of God, who walked on water, who raised the dead, who, who did all these incredible things, has incredible power, sitting there, letting Pilate think in his mind, I have authority over you. When the whole time, all he had to say is, really? Drop dead, dude. He'd be dead. 
And yet he submitted himself to the authority of Pilate so that Pilate then could execute this sentence on him that he didn't rightfully deserve, but he did it all out of submission to the Father. But he did it for us. And there were people there who were reviling him and who who were hurting him, and he was suffering because of them. And yet, even though they reviled him, and even though he was suffering at their hand, at any moment, he simply accepted what was happening to him. He accepted it. He embraced it. We have a hard time doing that, don't we? Don't we? Somebody doesn't give us what we want, or we don't get our way, and, uh, or somebody offends or hurts us somehow. And we think that we, we deserve to, be, to make the right wrong, of the wrong right, I'm sorry, and, and to settle the score. And yet Jesus accepted this, this sinful humanity and all that they threw on him and submitted himself to God. And, 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 and that's what he's saying here. We must follow as his disciples the example of Christ. So as we close, quickly, what's the right exercise? We've seen the right example. What's the right exercise? How do we bring this down to an application where I can do very quick six things? And we're going to move through these very quickly. So you might want to start writing them down now if you want to learn how to be meek. And if you don't want to be meek, just ignore it, go home and forget about it. But remember, the meek shall inherit the earth. So your inheritance, your payoff, your dividend, your portfolio is going to grow if you're weak. How's that, Brother Dave? Is that good? Our, our banker over here. All right, the right exercise. Number one, recognize the progression of, meek, of, of meekness. We've got to recognize the progression. What is the progression? There's no mistake in the order here in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Number one, we talked about that three Sundays ago. The poor in the spirit are what? Those who are bankrupt. Those who bring nothing to the table. Those who don't offer anything in regard to self-righteousness, they recognize their bankruptcy, they're poor in spirit, and they come before a holy and a righteous God and acknowledge their sinful condition. The second is that they mourn, right, over that sinful condition. There's a wailing, there's a lamenting, there's a mourning over their sin. We saw that last Sunday. Notice the progression, an admittance that I am totally bankrupt. Now that bankruptcy, I come lamenting over my sin that, that results in my bankruptcy. I'm not self-righteous. And now once I admit my sin, I I now submit to him my heart and my all. There's a submission here. There's a progression here. In other words, you really can't submit until, first of all, you admit and recognize you have nothing in and of yourself. You have really nothing to offer. And and that's really, I think, the bottom line for those who are not in Christ is that we, we have this tendency to think, I have power. But it's a recognition that really we're completely bankrupt in our own power, that he is all-powerful. We have none, and the little that we have has been granted by him simply because he chose to do that. And then once we, we then lament over that, we then submit our will to his. There's a progression there, which brings us to the point, number two, we need to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. As I mentioned earlier, if you take a look at the text, and it, it, let's just, let me just read Ezekiel 36. It said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. What is this describing? He's describing the new birth experience in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 through 27, where unless we are born again by the spirit of Christ and he puts a new spirit in us, there's no way in the world that we can ever stand a chance of being meek. Unbelievers cannot exercise meekness. They're going to exercise dominance, control, self-power, self-promotion. And they're going to step over everybody and anyone they have to in order to rise to the top. That's not meekness. And they're certainly not going to submit to the will of God because they want their will to be done. And so... In order for us to exercise what Jesus is describing here, we must be born again, is what he said in John chapter 3, so that the Spirit of Christ can be placed in our hearts and he can renew us with a new heart and a new attitude and a new mind and the power and the strength in order to make it possible. Number three, we need to respond to the call of meekness. There is a call to meekness here. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm calling you to be meek. It's similar to what he says in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus who was meek, who was gentle is calling us as his disciples to be meek and to be gentle. And when are you most like Christ? When you're meek and when you're gentle. Now some will say, well, you know, does that mean I have to be wimpy all the time? When Jesus entered into the temple and they had changed the temple from a house of prayer and he turned the tables over and kicked everybody out, was that meekness? So there's a time for correction. Can you be meek and still correct a wrong? Jesus was still meek, yet he corrected a wrong. Jesus is still meek when he stood up for the truth. He debated and argued the truth many times with with a false elite leadership that was there and and he always stood for the truth but whenever jesus himself was confronted like he was in john 19 and pilate asked him who are you he never defended himself he never took up for himself but he did take up for others and he took up for the cause of christ or the cause of god number four rely on the spirit of power We've described and talked about that already because it said in Galatians 5, 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. You cannot do this in and of yourself. You don't have the strength. Because your emotions rise to the level and your flesh likes to take control and everything within you wants to squash people like a bug. Especially when it comes to obeying God and his will over your will. If you don't struggle with that, It's a bad sign in your walk and your discipleship process. Number five, we need to reflect the meekness in my relationships. Jesus reflected that. We've already seen it when he prayed the prayer and he submitted his will to God's will. And we saw in 1 Peter 2.23 where he submitted his will so that we might then be saved. He could have said no, but he didn't. And aren't you glad he did? And number six, we need to resolve to put on meekness daily. Meekness is something that we need to put on daily. You put it on. It's a part of the armor. You put kind of like that. You you put it on. He says in Colossians 2, I mean 3.12, Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 
You put it on. It's not something that's going to come natural. It's intentional for you. It's intentional. And I'm going to close with this one passage, and we're going to, I, want to, I want you to take your Bible as we close, and I want to, I want to look at one last illustration. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 35. A lot of scripture today. Mark chapter 10, verse 36. James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. What is that? Self-will. We want what we want. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? He's being kind, isn't he? And they said to him, grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. Meekness does not self-promote. So these guys are not being meek in the natural. Even though they were this close to Christ, they were not exhibiting meekness. We have a hard time with it too. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Are you sure? And they said to him, we are able. Is that meekness? And Jesus said to them, this cup, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right side or at my left is not for me to grant but it is for those from whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, not because they had asked, but because they wanted to be included and they were not. And Jesus said to them, to him, and, and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's the world's view. Rise to the top, use anyone you can to self-promote, to get there, to get ahead. But it shall not be so among you. Why? Because you're my disciples. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Notice this incredible passage, verse 45, Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's the final question. Am I following the example of Jesus. He had every right to be served, and yet he came to serve. That's the most beautiful description of meekness you and I will ever see, and we can ever know, and we could ever emulate. Am I following the example of Jesus? Let's pray.